You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome to the very first episode, the premiere episode of uh, Thunderquack Force Perspectives. I, I, you might be asking yourself, uh, what the hell is this? Uh, I was subscribed to Faster, More Intense. And, and yeah, you were. Uh, you might also be subscribed to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, or Rebel Cells, the Star Wars animation podcast, and you're getting this episode um, because I'm going to put it on all those feeds. I, but this is actually, guess what? Faster, more intense. Uh, it's it's kind of like that 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 podcast name is going away. It's now this podcast. I uh, and uh, I we're we're just gonna we're gonna kind of pivot, but you guys are already all here. So I mean, like, hey, if you don't want to listen to this, you can unsubscribe. That's cool. Uh, but I hope that you'll stick around uh, for this new show. I am your host, Michael Cohen. I you may recognize my voice from all of those other podcasts that I talked about. Theoretically, if you're subscribed, you know you know who I am because um, you've been listening to the podcast for at least a while. Um, I said that I was retiring from Star Wars podcasting. That's what I said that I was doing. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm back, which Joe, uh, you know, rightfully predicted that it wouldn't take long. But here's the caveat. We're not doing what we used to do. This isn't the old thing. This is uh, a, a completely new format for me uh, for Star Wars podcasts. Um, uh, it, it might, it might be familiar to some other stuff that's out there. Uh, but, uh, but, but essentially what we're doing is, uh, taking a step back from the news and the sort of the, the day-to-day Star Wars, uh, conversations and focusing in a little bit more on individual experiences and uh, and and the relationship with Star Wars that we have as fans. So that's what Force Perspectives is going to be. How I'm going to get there is a little bit of a mystery to me right now. I'm making this up as I go. Uh, but I I I but that's the plan is is to talk a little bit more about um, why we love Star Wars and 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 the relationship that we have to it. Uh, then you know the same thing everybody else is out there talking about and doing a much better job. Look, listen, there are better recap shows. I uh, even, even though, Hey, maybe I, maybe I was one of the first back in 2008. That's fine. I, uh, but there are better recap shows. Now there are definitely better shows that are going to do like meta analysis and deep dives. I, uh, you know, uh, you guys know what the force go listen. I, I <laughs> Marie Claire has my full support. Go check out the back catalog. I uh, just listen to all of that. The whole show. It's all fantastic. Sky talkers is out there. Like there are, there are so many other great star Wars podcasts. Um, 
doing those things that I wanted to, I wanted to do something different. Um, and that's, that's what brought me back into this was this idea, especially after star Wars celebration and meeting new people and, and, and having conversations with them about why they love star Wars and, and sort of, uh, really hitting on that whole idea of like, we all love this one thing. This is actually kind of also like the negative side of it, right? Is that we all love this one thing, but we all love it for very different reasons, have very different relationships with it. And that's where, you know, I, I, I think sometimes some of the conflict comes from, but my hope is that with a podcast like this, we can focus back in on a little bit more about, you know, like we may come at it from different perspectives and with different, uh, different ideologies, but Star Wars should and can be the common ground to bring us together as a fandom. Um, I don't think that I'm going to solve all of fandom's problems. Twitter is far too toxic a place to be be uh, combated with a simple podcast. But I I but I'm going to do my piece to make sure that my corner of the internet is nice and happy. Uh, and uh, and 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 that's that's why I decided to come back. That's why I decided to do this show. Um, and we're just going to take over the faster, more intense feed because we're not going to do that one anymore. Rebel Cells might come back when Bad Batch comes back. Um, I don't know if I'll be on it on a regular basis, I, uh, but I might be on it from time to time, um, which obviously Rebel Cells took over from Frontlines and Rebels podcast, right? So so that still maintains the animated stuff, which we've covered every episode of animated television in Star Wars so far. I don't know why we would stop, but... I, I, yeah, we'll see in September what happens. Uh, but for now, this is Force Perspectives. Uh, I got to give a quick shout out to our Patreon producer, uh, Brian Murawski, uh, who, who is a Patreon producer from Thunderquack, but is now a Patreon producer of this because that's how that works. Um, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a, a platform that you can go to and uh, support the show with a monthly pledge and then you get some bonuses and stuff. Uh, we didn't really talk about it on the past shows because that was more of a thunderquack thing and not so much um, uh, for the Star Wars shows. But now it's kind of both. So if you want to get this early, uh, Force Perspectives right now will be once a month, once every four weeks, technically. Um, and if you want to get it on Tuesday, as opposed to getting it on the Friday, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash thunderquack. And uh, if you kick in at the $1 level, you'll get the early episode. Um, there are other bonuses as well. I do a bi-weekly podcast called Off the Record that is for Patreon only, where I just talk about whatever geeky stuff uh, kind of strikes my fancy. I just did an episode about Prey, which is a phenomenal movie. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, it's awesome. Go watch it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so like I just kind of talk about whatever. Um, just general geeky stuff. That'll be where I probably talk mostly about Marvel and uh, DC and, and and sort of that other that other general geeky stuff. Um, and that's at the five dollar level. And then we have we have other bonuses as well. You'll also get early access to Perfect Ten, which is my other new podcast, um, where I talk to my friends about the things that they think are masterpieces. Perfect Tens, like movies, TV shows. Uh, uh, the first episode, I talked with Joe Hogan about Ghostbusters. The next episode, I'm talking with my friend Tyler Nickel about Transformers, the movie, the soundtrack. So uh, that one's going to run the full gamut of all sorts of stuff. Um, and you'll get that as well as a Patreon bonus if, if you decide to kick in over there. So I uh, all of that rigmarole out of the way. Without further ado, let me introduce my guest, for this episode, the first episode of Force Perspectives, uh, Danielle, 
thank you for being here. You you were on Faster More Intense a, a few yeah. times. Hi, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. you just had to sit through all that rigmarole. Uh, nope, that's fine. But, uh, <laughs> I, but but you're the fir- you're the first you're the you're the first guest on the new show, which Yay, is really exciting. Cool. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for those who don't know, I, I uh, Daniel and I met on Twitter. I, and, uh, we met when I said a dumb thing, I, a very ill-informed, dumb, I, I would say like borderline misogynistic, if not full-on misogynistic, lowercase, lowercase (laughs) M misogynistic, um, unintentionally, like not really knowing what I was doing, uh, sort of response to, to, uh, to a post from a, from a Raylo. And, uh, and I brought down the full ire of the Raylo community on myself that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was, this was early on in the, uh, in, in the pandemic. I uh, really like right at the beginning of it. Kind of, I maybe even before the actual pandemic it might've been in the oh, February. Oh, I'd say, oh man, I'd say it was either a little before Tross or a little after. It was right after Tross. I know yeah. that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, and, and, and in the midst of everybody dogpiling on me, again rightfully so i mean like i really you know uh put my foot in my mouth with what i had said uh but in the midst of that there was the first person to sort of as i went like hey guys i did not mean to upset anybody please uh help me understand (laughs) i uh daniel was the first one to 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 reach out a hand and pull me out of the dog pile (laughs) um and uh and i credit you with uh, with with converting me, uh, taking me from someone who was like, because essentially what I said was that was that Kylo Ren was a was a was a bad example to set for for you know like a, a Ray wanting to fix Kylo Ren was a uh-huh. was a was a bad example for young women, and I was and then I was told that it really wasn't my place to tell young women what they should or shouldn't fantasize about, and and I yeah everybody was right, I was wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I had a lot of learning to do, and I, 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 you, you started me on that path, and and started me on the path to to becoming a full on Raylo in the way that you. <laughs> it's been fun to watch from afar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, I, uh, you, you really, you put it into a perspective that I had never considered before, which was more mm-hmm. of like a mental health perspective. Yeah. For for Ben Solo, and it was really like, because I, I had, I was one of those ones that was like, he's a war criminal. He's a, he's committed genocide. He's like Darth Vader. And then it's like, yeah, but wasn't Darth Vader worth saving too? And it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, uh, yeah, like just totally flipped my perspective. Um, put me on the path uh, I, to discovering uh, uh, what's, what the force and other podcasts and, and, and that whole community. Um mm. And yeah, you, 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 you radicalized me. I became a radical <laughs> Raylo because of you. I just, and we talk- I, I enlightened you. I didn't radicalize yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and we, there's a whole episode. So if you go back in this feed, you'll be able to find the older episode. I'm not getting rid of them. The older episodes of faster, more intense. And we have a whole episode where you and I go into the detail of, of mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah, it was fun. Um, that people can go back and listen to. But this one's not about me. That's the whole thing with this new podcast is that as much as I love to talk about Star Wars, um, what I want to do is I want to talk to other people about their experience with Star Wars. Sure. In the hopes that, you know, I'll learn something and the audience will learn something in the same way that I did 
that day when I, when I really stepped in it <laughs> and it totally changed my point of view on mm. not just Ben Solo, not just Kylo Ren, but really like, like, like eventually all of Star Wars, like it reframed everything for me. Right. Um, and uh, Obi-Wan being my favorite character and his most notable quote, other than may the force be with you uh, mm. being uh, many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. That's yeah. kind of, that's, that's where that's the force perspectives truth. part comes from. Right. So, yeah. So without further ado, the way that we get into this, the way, the way that we access this conversation is by me asking you what your favorite piece of star Wars is. Right. Right. <laughs> And, um, I, and I, I gave you that question and then yeah. you went and you tried to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, when you had pitched this idea to me, I instantly loved it. And you're like, oh, you know, just tell me what your favorite Star Wars is and, you know, why you love it and, and how it's affected you. And I'm like, okay, this should be easy. And I yeah. spent days and days thinking about it. And I <laughs> came away with all of it um, is my answer. And yeah. And it was so funny because I kept thinking, well, you know, I saw, you know, I saw the originals and then this is how it affected me as a kid. And then, well, then the prequels came out when I was a teen and, and that's mm-hmm. how they affect me. And, but, you know, now that I'm an adult and the sequels are out, well, they've definitely affect me this way. And, and it, I had just finished watching if listeners, if you haven't, please go watch light and magic on Disney plus it's yes. about um, Lucas starting industrial light and magic and, and how they've, became so amazing um and it really opened me up to seeing one man's film changed a lot of the way i saw life it was the way it did you know it changed the way i used my imagination it informed decisions it illuminated so much about me as a person and the idea i'm going to come to you all with is (laughs) because I'm a loser, I wrote, I ended up going through childhood photos and looking up dates and saying, well, this is the first Star Wars memory that I have. And I'm going to share this with you real quick. And then hopefully Michael and I can pull this apart for your enjoyment. Um, So real quick, I was born in 1987. Um, For some of you, that may sound like forever ago. For others, (laughs) not too long ago. Um, But In 1990, at the age of two and a half, Star Tours, which had only been open for a couple of months, was actually my first introduction to Star Wars. My parents had obviously seen it, and they were big fans. Um, And so here's this ride, and this was my first trip to Disney World, and they were like, yeah, let's go on this. And I remember walking in, here's this giant vehicle with these, you know, metal animatronic things moving around. And they usher me into this vehicle and I'm strapping my little tiny self into this seat. And here's a giant screen and, you know, this crazy sounding robot that is suspiciously sounding like Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) And, and I'm getting, you know, tossed through asteroids and giant balls of ice. And, and, and then there's a giant ship and I'm being shot at and I'm being tossed around. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but it's a blast. (laughs) And my dad tried to explain it to me, but, you know, I don't really have a full context. I just know what, whatever that Star Wars thing was, it was fun. And so fast forward a bit to 
1991, and my I'm playing in the floor with some toys, and my dad, looking at the TV guide, that's how old I am, he tosses it uh, off to the side, and he jumps out of the chair, and he starts pulling out VHS tapes and, and wiring it up to the TV. What in the world are you doing? And he goes, you need to see the greatest piece of cinema that has ever been made. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, Dad, sure. And it was Return of the Jedi. And it was running as like a holiday special where they were all being shown. And starting with that one, and then eventually going back and watching what became A New Hope and, and Empire Strikes Back, those, at I was four years old and that was my introduction. And Empire instantly became my favorite. You know, I love the Tauntauns, the fact that you know, there were all these really amazing characters that were going through a really cool drama that I personally had never seen, I never thought of. Um, you know, the creatures, the effects, all of it. I was captivated by its scope and locations and actions and gadgets and creatures. It blew me away. And I was actually, and still kind of am today, even as an adult, I'm terrified of aliens. But Star Wars was the one safe place of sci-fi where I could see races of aliens that didn't instantly send me into a panic attack. And so it kind of made it like this little safe place in a way. And while, you know, a lot of other people out there may say they connected with Leia or Luke or Han, I didn't really connect with any of them. But I connected with the fact that I am a small child who sees an adventure, who sees friends going on an adventure, and I want a slice of that. Um, but when I started talking to my dad about it, he was like, oh, well, this guy named George Lucas made it. And I'm like, well, what's he do? Well, he's a filmmaker. And that's what I hooked on to. I want to be like George Lucas. I have all these amazing ideas in my head. I want to be like George and I want to share them with the world. And it was also around this time that my dad was like, well, if you like that, wait till you see this. And I got introduced to Willow. I got introduced to E.T., yeah, Jaws, um, Indiana Jones. And by the time the young Indiana Jones Chronicles aired in 1992, I, I was hooked. I was converted. I wanted to be the next George and the next Spielberg. And in 1993, I was five and a half and we went back to Disney World and I got to experience Star Tours again. Only this time I knew, I now knew what flying through the Death Star like Luke felt like. So when I would go home and watch it again, I knew what that was like for him. And and I was collecting toys. You know, I was buying toy plastic little lightsabers and acting it out. And I would excitedly go to school and tell my classmates or my cousins about this amazing movie that I had seen. And they're like, what's Star Wars? That makes no sense. That sounds dumb. It sounds boring. So the only way I could share it was with my parents, essentially. And, but through it, I was like, okay, well, you know, how do you make a movie? How, how, did, how did they make the Tauntauns move? How did the Ewoks work? And so he told me a little bit about industrial light and magic. And I instantly knew that that was such a creative place that that was something I wanted to do. I wanted a job where I could express creativity day to day and be proud of what I did. And this this was around the same time that Jurassic Park was also coming out and seeing, 
you know, that next level that ILM was going to just solidified it for me. And through John Williams and through Star Wars, I learned that music, especially score music, is extremely special and that it has the very subtle ability to manipulate not only a film, but you as an audience member. And I mean, even to this day, like I honestly prefer listening to film scores than I do regular music. Um, but around 1994, um, Panasonic camcorders were becoming more of a common thing. My dad went, picked one up. And so this is when I really started trying to pursue that. I want to be George Lucas making a movie. And I would film myself. I would, you know, pull school friends over and, and, and film them. And I would take, you know, action figure toys and film them talking and moving. They were my claymation and my CGI. And that was a favorite activity of mine for years and years and years that would eventually make a mark on my college years and the years ahead. Fast forward a bit more to 1997. You know, I've seen them a dozen times. I know what Star Wars is about. It's not a big deal. So when the special editions get released in theaters, my parents are like, you've got to experience it on the big screen. And I'm like, I don't know, that seems dumb. It's nothing different. But I ended up enjoying it anyways, especially for the fact that while most people nowadays would pick those added in CGI scenes apart, back then, and for someone who really liked what ILM was doing, it was a blast to see. Like, okay, if this is what they're doing and adding in, I can't wait to see what this rumored new Star Wars is going to look like. And in 1999, my excitement with the rest of the world as well was in full swing with The Phantom Menace. And, you know, Queen Amidala and Obi-Wan were absolute instant favorites that still are favorites of mine to this day. And I was 11 years old at that time and it was my brother I think might have been three um, and it was really the one thing that he and I actually connected with was talking about Star Wars listening to Star Wars playing Star Wars I, I painted him up to look like Darth Maul um, I dressed him up like Anakin and would film him with like rolled up blankets pretending it to be like a pod race and I'm shaking the camera around um, but you know, like I, they were selling Padawan braids. I was wearing Padawan braids. I was painting my face up to be like the queen of Naboo. It was just an absolute fun time. And then in 2002, I was about 14 and a half. Attack of the Clones came out and instantly it became my favorite. I understood. I was at an age where I understood the awkwardness and the desire that was being presented between Anakin and Padme. And, you know, at 11, having a crush on Obi-Wan and then seeing him become more of this adult mentor figure to Anakin at 40 and a half, I took comfort in knowing that, okay, Obi-Wan is clearly still trying to get his ducks in a row, but he's not all there. He's not a perfect adult. Um, but he keeps trying. So I found that in a weird way reassuring. Another big thing, too, is that when Attack of the Clones released, it was several months after 9-11 um, happened here in America. And so even though The Phantom Menace had a lot of politics, um, now that I'm seeing, you know, 
throngs of clones being bred just for war, going to war, you know, over what may or may not be a legitimate thing. The Iraq war was happening at that time. And so suddenly, you know, I'm in the ninth grade and I'm seeing this and it's, it now becomes more of a prominent thing to pay attention to than it had just a few years prior. Um, And so it was kind of a way for me to digest in a safe, comforting way, what was going on around me. And jumping up to 2005 at the age of 17, Revenge of the Sith came out a month before I graduated high school. And that one in particular, even though it wasn't my favorite, was very personal to me simply because I was getting ready to go into college um, to study political science. So that was another way I kind of related to Padme. at that point in time, I was also dating a guy who was a little younger than me, um, and it was very quickly becoming awkward. And he was also fantasizing about going into the military, joining the fight, and it was kind of making him a, um, a sort of an abusive person. And so watching Revenge of the Sith in this weird way was kind of like a foreshadowing and once things ended soon after uh between the guy I was dating at the time it also felt like a relief of like okay you know that that could have been me at a certain point and that could have been him at a certain point and so it was a relief almost um that watching this film was like well thank goodness I didn't end up that way um fast forward again to 2016 I'm now dating the guy who ended up marrying um, is my husband now, but I had an opportunity to take a film class and I wasn't going to do it, but he, I had told him about, you know, Star Wars's impact on me as a kid and, and making all these home films and stuff. And he said, well, just go for it. How often in life do you have the chance to make a film? And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'll go for it. And so I did. I took the class. Um, I learned the workings of physical film, of lighting, of cinematography, and yes, old school editing by hand. If you ever hear George Lucas talk about how much of a pain editing was, (laughs) I can tell you by literally stamping like a razor blade against little slices of film and taping them together with clear tape, it is a huge pain. (laughs) But in the end, I ended up sharing with my classmates and another film class, a five minute silent black and white story filmed on eight millimeter Kodak film about a broken young man reflecting back on happy memories of his girlfriend, whom at the last scene you learn has died in a car crash. And when it was over, I remember the room being completely stunned and silent. And the teacher and I hadn't really seen eye to eye the whole class. But she came up to me and she was like, I have never seen a student film that moved me that way. And, you know, I I took a lot of pride in that because when I was filming it, I kept thinking back to all, you know, the little behind the scenes of George making Star Wars and and then of him and the, you know, trying to get the prequels off the ground. And so while it wasn't Star Wars, at 18, I had achieved what I had always been inspired by by him and by Star Wars to do all those years ago and that was to tell a story on film 
And so after that, you know, for the next nine years or so, adult life happens and, and, you know, Star Wars went into a lull, but it always made me think of fond, happy memories. And I will always appreciate it for that. And then TFA happened in 2015 and I was 28 and I was so excited when I saw the trailer that I got goosebumps and I almost cried. <laughs> and what was really nice too was while my husband had seen Star Wars and he, he wasn't really necessarily a big fan, but for the first time he was genuinely excited about seeing it with me. And we also had two young children by then, and there was a third one on the way. And it was really exciting to me because even though they had seen Star Wars, they didn't really care much about it. But I, I knew this, the sequel trilogy, is going to be their Star Wars. Like the prequels were mine and the originals were my parents. And it felt cool to be taking over my dad's role of introducing the next generation to this amazing story and these amazing films. And so I think here in America, it came out December 19th and I saw it on the 21st. And then the very next morning I gave birth to our daughter. <laughs> so that was a pretty cool roller coaster experience. But in watching it, Ray was everything I had wanted at five years old. And, and she was spunky, she was stubborn, she was capable, but she was also scared and unsure. And that moment when the lightsaber flew into her hand and the force theme that I had grown up being moved by swelled, my eyes literally watered. It was so fantastic. And it was really cool too, because while Ray absolutely spoke to the child in me, I was completely taken off guard by Kylo being relatable to me as an adult. He was conflicted about his actions that he took. He was seemed unhappy with his place in the world. You know, he felt increasingly unstable. And those were things that I not only saw myself in, but, you know, very closely related to. And that felt in its own really special. And then in 2017, in that space between TFA and TLJ, there was a lot going on, not only just in my life, but in my own personal journey. Um, I had gotten diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, you know, it was a bit of an uphill battle to find medication that helped me finally get to somewhere that made me feel normal. And I finally achieved that, what I would say, balance for what is me. Um, just a few days before I saw The Last Jedi. And so I was at a good place to really digest, you know, this new film. I could experience it as a quote-unquote normal person. And at first, I ended up not liking The Last Jedi, but <laughs> I couldn't understand why. And that's because it's a different film. I wasn't really sure how to feel about Luke's story that, you know, I was frustrated because he wasn't what I remember, but at the same time I related to him. Um, it, but, you know, I was frustrated with what was going on with Finn and Poe, but it was through Ray and Kylo that kept me engaged in that story. And I just could not get enough. And so over the next four months into 2018, 
I kept thinking about the film, like there's something to it that it's trying to say to me. I just don't know what that is. And so when the extended novel came out, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this another try and let me see how I feel about it. And I read it and was like, okay, this is a great film. I rewatched it. I saw all the missing pieces. I started seeking out community for the first time like I never had before. Um, you know, it's how I ran into Mary Claire Gould and, and with What the Force podcast. Um, in, in Twitter, it was the only reason I engaged in Twitter. It was through trying to understand what this piece of Star Wars was telling me and wanting more of whatever Raylo was. You know, I don't, I don't mind romance per se, but I had never actively sought it out before in storytelling. And for the first time ever, I was looking into what was myth. What did mythic stories say or were trying to say? Um, what were tropes? How did tropes function in storytelling? And so it opened up a ton of knowledge that I had not really been aware of or knew anything about. And through all that, I found fan fiction for the first time as an adult and instantly fell in love. And, and so suddenly I had another gateway into my creativity where, you know, I didn't have a camera or action figures or actors anymore, but I had a website archive of our own and I clearly had a hungry audience out there somewhere. And so my mind became the storyboards and the scripts and my keyboard became my camera and my words were now industrial light and magic. And through all that, I eventually four months later was able to tell my own personal star Wars story through words. And that felt absolutely amazing beyond amazing and in in a way it helped me find a joy in writing that I had never had before and so then at the tail end of 2019 late 2018 I found out I was pregnant with her fourth and final child and they were to be due on May 4th Star Wars Day 2019 the same year the Rise of Skywalker is due to come out and so I insisted okay this child has to have a Star Wars name. We have a Lord of the Rings baby. We have a Batman baby. We have a Halo baby. We got to have a Star Wars baby. And so my husband's favorite film is Revenge of the Sith. And his favorite characters are Anakin and Vader. And I said, well, Kylo and Ben Solo are mine. So let's name them. Let's name him Anakin Ben. And so on May 1st, Anakin Ben Kelly was born. And that was a, you know, an absolute thrilling thing. At the tail end of it that year, I ended up not seeing The Rise of Skywalker simply because when I read what all took place in the film, it was soul crushing, to be honest. But I will always remember the excitement I had leading up to it. Like it was infectious. And both in the community and at that year for celebration, that part of it was awesome. 
And then COVID happened and we all kind of hung out in our house for a while. But at the tail end of 2020, I was finally able to visit Galaxy's Edge in Florida. And while the experience was bittersweet due to the hurt of, you know, knowing what happened to these characters I loved, it was absolutely amazing to stand in a place that I had only dreamed of while standing in line for Star Tours 30 years earlier. I was finally wielding my very own personalized lightsaber. I was eating at the Docking Bay restaurant that I had written about in one of my fanfic stories just months earlier. And what was really cool is at the age of five, my daughter Cortana got to experience Star Tours alongside me. And she was so thrilled seeing all, you know, these characters from this movie that she had seen, the way I had felt. And she had an absolute blast being the pilot on the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. And, and, and I think that's, that's what it is. It was something that I was shown as a child and then got to experience. And then she was shown as a small child and then got to experience at that young age. And it's, it's really given me so much star Wars as a whole, given me so much just through all these events up to that point. I mean, I, I got to do a star Wars podcast with you, Michael, that's something I never could have seen ever happening. Um, you know, and this is my third one, no less. And then now that we have Disney Plus shows, it's it's super easy to share that with them even more and with my parents. I, I have pictures of, you know, my my husband and my kids and I with my parents sitting around watching Mandalorian on a couch together um, as part of our vacation. And so it's just given me so much stuff. I mean, the walls of my office, I have paintings that I felt inspired to paint of Naboo and Endor hanging on my walls. I've met absolutely amazing artists from around the globe who I commissioned Raylo artwork um, from that hang very proudly um, almost on every inch of my wall space. But I mean, none of that would have been capable without Star Wars, without you know, what he, what was it about or, or, you know, what George Lucas was trying to say. And all that happened just because at the age of two, my parents decided to be like, hey, come ride this ride with me. So, yeah, that is my Star Wars story. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, like that, that really takes us through all of it, right? That's the yeah. Whole- that's the whole timeline. Uh, uh, it's so great because there there are so many places where that sort of like intersects with my own story um, and my own relationship to Star Wars and mm. and uh, but there's also so many things that uh, that 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 are so different. I mean, like I love that that Star Tours <laughs> is your introduction <laughs> to it. That's so funny because like for me, I I. I my my very first memory of of knowing that what i was watching was star wars was like we had gone to my uncle's house and he had just gotten the 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 trilogy on vhs and i i i must have been like i haven't done the the sort of like figured out the the time uh, but i think i was about four 
Um, and my brother, my oldest brother who's five years older than me, wanted to watch Empire Strikes Back. So that's what got put on. And we sat I through it right. until it, until <laughs> it got to the point of um, the space slug. Mm. And when that thing pops out of that asteroid, I lost it. Like I <laughs> lost it. I was like, nope. <laughs> and it's so funny because like it's such a vivid memory and i think about it and it's like you know my uncle was showing off his brand new tv his brand new vhs player and these star wars vhs tapes so right. i'm very proud of it and and like oh this new this new big tv and i'll bet you it wasn't 30 inches right like i'll bet you like the screen <laughs> hey, was, that was, was big small. back then that was yeah big. no for sure right like 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 back yeah because this would this would have been in like the late 80s early 90s uh-huh. um and and I uh, I uh, but like four three not even in widescreen right I uh, mm-hmm. and but like that's like that to me it's so funny because like I didn't watch Star Wars then for like almost another like five or six years before before I started to get into it because I was like ten when I got into it um <laughs> and like I swore off I was like nope like I'm not doing it and I was a Star Trek kid for a long time because because yeah. me and my dad used to sit and watch Next Gen together we used to sit on the bed. Uh, and nobody else wanted to watch Star Trek. <laughs> so yep. it's just me and my, him. My parents watched Next Gen too, but you know, I, I was creeped out by the Klingons, so uh, yeah. And yeah, like and Borg, I just Borg were off limits. <laughs> that that, nope. that became like that became my sci fi thing until I got older. Yeah. Um and, and eventually found Star Wars again. And I and the way that I did was was through the music. So like I mm. we had a we had a cassette tape we were on a road trip and I'd listened to everything else. I'd listened to the Lion King soundtrack three times yep. and this was <laughs> firmly places where it is right. 1994. <laughs> yep. I, I, and I, and, and was like, like look like rifling through these things and put the star Wars soundtrack in and started listening to it and was just like, I need to know more about this just off of the music, just off of John Williams. Like yeah, I had such little good. familiarity yeah, like I knew Darth Vader, I knew lightsabers, I knew stormtroopers. I uh, I didn't really know any of the other characters' names, right? Like mm-hmm. the only other familiarity I had with the story was the Muppet Babies episode, <laughs> right? <Cute. laughs> Which is such a like is such a backwards way of of uh, of viewing Star Wars for the first time, but. Um, but yeah, it's why it's why to this day, like when people tell me what their first thing was, especially younger people, especially like like actual children nowadays, um, mm-hmm. and they tell me, you know, I I oh well, the first thing that I the first Star Wars that I interacted with was Angry Birds Star Wars, and other <laughs> people get judgy about it, and I'm like, whatever, man, whatever got you to the table, I don't care, right? right? Because because yeah. we all we all came to it in our own ways, especially those of us who were born after you know, after Star Wars was already the thing, right? Yeah. Um, well, so, when yeah. I was when I was talking to my husband about it, he said that he had heard school kids talking about Star Wars. And so he asked his mom, you know, can you go to the video store and, and rent me Star Wars? She had no clue. She picked up Spaceballs. And so for <laughs> years, he thought, okay, Star Wars is Spaceballs. And then, yeah. um, like, a brother-in-law got him a Darth Vader figure. And he's like, what the heck? This isn't the same thing. And then it was a right around the same time that uh, the special editions released. And so his dad mm-hmm. was like, okay, let's do something. Let's go watch Empire Strikes Back. And and then that's when he was like, oh, this is Star Wars. Oh, so- yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's yeah. so funny. It's so funny because Empire, I think, is the one that really like cements it, right? Mm-hmm. Like Star Wars. Uh, and when I would talk to my parents, because my parents were there on day one. Uh, yeah. My parents lived in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. In, in the 70s. And uh, uh, in Hermosa Beach, which is not too far away from from like downtown L.A., basically. Uh, and they saw it at, at not at not at the the Chinese theater, but at Century City, which is one of the at the time it was one of the bigger. The- I think actually Century City was a like a bigger screen, mm. but like it didn't matter because like everywhere in Los Angeles that weekend that Star Wars opened, it was just like lines around the block. It was like you would <laughs> wait like do three hours in line to get into this movie. Yeah. Um. And and my mom not a movie person not a movie person but she will talk about that day as like it was pretty amazing (laughs) (laughs) but my dad my dad was was very much like me like a huge geek Uh uh-huh huge into movies um and so when he when he would talk about it it was like oh yeah man it was like boom like and my dad had seen everything right like all of, <laughs> everything sci-fi 2001 planet of the apes like like all of the classic mm, sci-fi yeah. of that era leading up to that but then was like no it was a totally different thing um but th- but then like empire i think is the thing that like really like ratchets it up yeah right um and, i, I and think so because like for a lot of people like i had said you know the one I actually did for, watch first was Return of the Jedi, which I've heard mm-hmm. several other people say that too. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of like, you know, what's this weird show with the dude with like the glowy sword and the and the teddy bears? Yeah, like it's yeah. cool, but you know, why is this random dude dying and the music's telling me it's sad? I don't understand. Yeah. And then no connection he's the like, story, let's right? start from the beginning, and then you watch A New Hope, and it's like, okay, I guess this is pretty cool. And then you get to Empire, and it's like, okay whatever this is this is awesome and now yeah and then you go to return of the jedi and it's like now it makes now it makes sense yeah like i think i think return of the jedi is one of the easy ones to go to because you've got the whole sequence with jabba at the beginning look at all these aliens look at this crazy action sequence the running and jumping and flipping and the explosions Mm -hmm. really really cool and then you know we, we cool it for a second but then like not it's about 15 minutes and then we're on speeder bikes and we're like whoa this is the yeah. coolest thing i've ever seen yeah um and and like from that point on the movie just just goes right yeah um and the battle of endor is just like like Amazing. The, the, the cross cutting all of that <laughs> stuff so i think if you've seen all of star wars at the time you're like well return of the jedi is the best one right because yeah. it just it just took that action and just like it did the things that I think George wishes that he could have done on previous ones, right? And it did mm-hmm. it to the best of its ability until really until the prequels, right? Yeah. Um yeah. like I don't think anybody surpassed the third act of Return of the Jedi until George was like, Hey, watch this and did it again <laughs> in Phantom Menace. For everything else about Phantom Menace, the third act of Phantom Menace is like, whoa, yeah. right? Because it's everything it's everything that Return of the Jedi is, but with massively high fidelity, right? Yeah. Um yes. especially when you consider it's nineteen ninety nine. Ridiculous. Yeah. Oh man, I tell you what, I I remember watching it th- thinking it was so blown away, the special effects and mm-hmm. I remember for the Oscars, it was the awards were up between like Phantom Menace and The Matrix. Obviously, The Matrix won, and for good reason. Yeah. But at the time, as a child who 
hadn't been allowed to see the matrix i was like i don't understand phantom menace was amazing <laughs> and then a few years later it's like ooh, that's looking a bit dated and then i guess a few months ago i i watched it on disney plus and they must have went back and definitely done some texture redos because um Sebulba looked a whole lot better than he used to <laughs> yeah the on on the on the blu-ray pass they they cleaned some stuff up yeah and i and and i wouldn't be surprised if they went in and they and they they upscaled some of that some yeah. of that modeling because at that point right they they've got everything right i mean like it, yeah. and that light and magic documentary um amazing it, i mean it just it, it it doesn't spend nearly enough time on the prequels in my opinion but yeah. it and it really only talks about the Phantom Menace. We don't really get into like, yeah. you know, because um, I, mean, I would re- I would really love to hear what George has to say about the era of, of shooting uh, Revenge of the Sith, because I because Revenge of the Sith, I feel like it like he was going for something that they weren't quite ready for yet. And now, like, because then we kind of skip over that and go straight to the volume in that documentary and you get there and George walks on set and he's like, this is what I was talking about 20 years ago. This is what I've been talking about for the last 40 years. And, and Kathleen Kenny is like, I know, I know (laughs) I've heard you talk about it, but he's like the way that he's like, like it's not even that he's not impressed because he is, he's just like, I'm just glad somebody finally did this, right? Yes. Because you can you can see that on Revenge, that's what he was trying to do, but all they could do is just surround them with blue screen. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It it's it's kind of it kind of it almost like breaks your heart to see him do it because he's like, of course, once I retire, you guys figure out. How to do this. <laughs> you know? That that very tired. Well, at least it, yeah. it, it got made thing. <laughs> Yeah, he just like he never takes his hand out of his pocket and he's just holding that Starbucks coffee cup <laughs> and like and like it's like it's like the thing is like glued into his hand. Um yeah. and he's just yeah, he's just very George about it. I I I oh man, the th- but the biggest takeaway that I had from that that documentary is when you're watching the really old archive footage of like 1975, 1976, even before that, like, like you see some of that stuff from when he was working with, with uh, Coppola on, mm. on the, the American Zoetrope stuff. And you're like, yeah, George was kind of a bit of a cutie back in the day. Right. Like you never, <laughs> like I never really, I never really like looked at it before. So obviously I've seen lots of stuff of the star Wars era, but there's a, there's like, there's a couple of moments like, like filming American graffiti and stuff. And he's got that Letterman yeah. jacket on and he just kind of, <laughs> it's it's i i i said this on twitter it's like it's all in the eyes like he just had like this kind of he has a sweet face like, yeah he's got a yeah like, like but he's just kind of like yeah. like this twinkle in his eye that you're like what's going on inside your head man like i want to know like tell me everything and obviously that's what star wars ends up being is him going like here's my imagination mm-hmm. uh please please uh come enjoy <laughs> and we yeah. all went yes thank you um but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, anything that anybody says about any of that other stuff, like, like the prequels, whatever, any bad stuff anybody has to say, I just, it's like, go watch Light and Magic, because you'll have a new appreciation for that man. Yeah. And the way that he, like, literally changed the world, literally, like, one man, because, because who's to say, you know, special effects would have eventually gotten there anyways, because you had talented people that that would have ended up figuring a lot of this stuff out but but george had that vision and george is the one who brought together that team 
mm-hmm. and had the had had the vision to look at that whole group and go well yeah let's just bring this guy on and then that guy says i want to bring my friend and he goes yeah okay <laughs> right yeah. like he's the yeah he, he was the smart guy in the room to figure that out i mean and it was really fascinating when watching the documentary too because it's because like i said he was talking about you know i hated editing these films there's you can do it digitally yeah. it's just it's got to be done and he's throwing money behind this idea of doing digitally and yeah. you know just for the casual person, it just kind of washes over and away from you. Like you don't really think much about it. Oh, progress is progress. But having personally done it myself, I'm like, oh my God, thank you, you know, George, for actually pursuing mm-hmm. and putting money and time and effort behind doing it because it was an absolute yeah. pain. And he talks about how like, because this is the way it's done, nobody wants to change it. And then you kind of hear that again with the special effects. Well, this is how clay it's through claymation why do we need to do it any differently and it's pushed and i i don't know if you have ever read the the um steve jobs biography amazing book but it 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 talks a little bit about a blurb of of him acquiring you know pixar and then obviously in the documentary it talks about him you know coming up with that with that pixar system just so he could try and push forward his movie and just the medium in general and then You know, if you know the other pieces along the way, you get the bigger picture that's being told. And it's just amazing because we know what Pixar did for animated films just from the Disney side of things. And, and you know, tracing that step back is to him going, well, I want to make it better. What's in my head? I want to put what's in my head on the screen. Yeah. So, and and, you know, even then that comes back down to you know, would, would we have had something like Lord of the Rings or would we have had something like Avatar, Mm -hmm. you know, if he had not been so insistent and not had that creative, you know, I guess ability and drive and financially to do that. I don't know. Yeah, well, and 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 I I think back on especially that era, and like you bring up Avatar and and Lord of the Rings, and and sort of the, especially like the way that the media always wants to frame it, and then we get caught up in it as fans. This whole framing of like this or that, or even back in the day with Star Trek versus Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think about like like the the way that James Cameron talks about ILM in that mm. documentary and uh, and the way that Steven Spielberg talks about, about what was going on and the way that they talk about George specifically. And the idea that these movies are ever in competition, that these franchises are in competition with one another is such a, a reductive way to look at it because yeah. those filmmakers would be the first ones to tell you, Peter Jackson as well, right? I, mm. I, they like without George, none of this happens. <laughs> we don't, we don't like maybe eventually, you know, it's a time is a is a is a stream, right? Time is a river, and eventually the water all ends up in the same place, anyways. So right. you know, like like just because, um, I, George doesn't come up with it doesn't mean that somebody won't eventually. As I was want to say, like you know. There's there there are alternative paths to the same solution, but right. but we live in the timeline. We live in the world where George <laughs> Lucas is the guy who made this happen, 
And so he is the one who deserves that credit every time. Um, And and not to mention like that, we're just talking about special effects. That's not even getting into the way that he changed the way that, that people look at storytelling in a, in a genre sense. Right. Like, like he, he, he broke down so many boundaries of what, you know, before then it was like, this is a Western, this is science fiction. This is fantasy that, you know, this is a samurai film. This is that. And the other thing. And he went, why can't it just all be the same thing? Like, why can't we just, why can't you just tell a good story? And if you got to borrow from six different places to do it, then you do it. Cause it's at the end of the day, story is what matters. The, 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 the quote that I took away from, from that documentary, that is something that like, it's just, it exemplifies his genius and it like goes into the core of everything that he's accomplished. They're talking about, this is the point that they're talking about digital versus practical Mm. um, in effects. And he goes, when you're writing a script, it doesn't matter if you write it in pencil or if you write it in pen, the story's still the same. Right. And I was just like, it like, it was like a galaxy brain moment of like, that's what it comes down to is like story is the most important thing. Um, And I think that ultimately the other stuff, the other visionary things that he did, they only exist in service to that end, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's the pencil or the pen. All that matters is that the story is up on the screen. Um, And, and, and I, I just, I feel like so many people would be better off if they could just shut off that overly critical part of their brain when it comes to things like visual effects or cinematography or any of that, like those things are all important in filmmaking as well. But at the end of the day, like, did we get the story? Did we get, the, did what we saw on screen, did it service the story? And if it services the story, then I'll forgive a lot of stuff. I'll right. forgive a shoe in the background of, yeah. of uh, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Not that you can tell anyways. Right. But, well, like, like for Jurassic Park, for example, when you say mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, like, sure, the brand new one, gorgeous CGI compared mm-hmm. to the original, but what sticks with you? The story of the yeah. first one. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, like, because the, the, the original Jurassic Park has, like, less than 15 minutes of dinosaur footage in it, right? Yeah. But... And and the new one, I think, is it clocks in at something like forty minutes of of that bloated, massive monstrosity of a movie. <laughs> um, and it's like it's it's more footage, more dinosaur footage than any uh, Jurassic film before it. Yeah, and it's like so what, so what? Like, and there's cool stuff. Like, don't get me wrong, Dominion yeah. is a very fun movie. It's garbage. It's an absolute <laughs> trash fire. But it's, it's, it's the bag of chips. It's so yeah, bad but for you that exactly. you still eat it. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, it, yeah, perfect. Like flaming hot Cheetos, right? And I'm lactose intolerant, so this is double for me. So like a bag of flaming hot Cheetos, there's nothing good in there, right? You're eating mostly air uh, surrounded by puffed up like wheat or whatever it is, corn, whatever, right? It's just yep. it's just garbage filler that has no nutritional value, covered in orange chemicals, yep. uh, and and a and and a some sort of mysterious thing that makes your mouth burn, which makes you think that it's spicy, <laughs> right? But it looks good. <laughs> but damn if it doesn't look good, and damn if they don't taste delicious. 
right? Even though there's nothing of value in them whatsoever. And that's exactly what Dominion was, for sure. I didn't think we'd talk about Jurassic World Dominion on this podcast about Star Wars. But but all of that back to, like, um, I, 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 this is what we'll close out on, because this is what I'm the most okay. curious about. Because you talk mm-hmm. about your whole Star Wars journey and, um, like, how integral it is. And, and, and you know, you, you name, named one of your children after a Star Wars <laughs> character, which I'm in the same boat. Kara's middle name is Rey. Yeah. Uh, her first day, she's named after Supergirl first and then Star Wars second. Amazing. I, I, but have you watched Tross yet? No, I still haven't. You, you still haven't seen it. I still haven't. Nope. I, it's, this is one of those things where I know that like, like it's, it could go one of two ways. You will never, ever see that movie or one day eventually you'll be in a place where you're good to watch it and you'll watch it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think it's, I think it's for two reasons. I think one is because for the most part, I know what happens. I know the gist mm-hmm. of it. I know the big yep. pieces that are important. So, you know, I have abs- it's not like I have absolutely no clue. I, I know what happens. I'm just yeah. staring myself visually and audibly, but I mean, even if they say, let's say they came out with an episode 10 and it was everything I ever wanted at the end of the day, if I went and saw it and they said, okay, would you see rise of Skywalker before walking into this one? I would probably still say no. See, and like that, that to me is what we were just talking about. And this is why the reason, the reason why I brought it up, that, that story is King, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Or uh, not, not non-gendered monarch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like the story is, is, is ultimately the most important piece. Yeah. And Tross, it absolutely like, it just, it, it falters so hard right at the end. I, uh, so much of that movie is forgivable if Ben Solo survives. Mm-hmm. because like that it doesn't matter how good it looks which like parts of it look very good the third yeah. act is terrible the third act is just blue and fuzzy i it, yeah. it drives me nuts it drives me nuts you have you have the most budget of any movie imaginable you have the entirety of Isle at your disposal and and they just they it's just it's a fuzzy fight inside like unfocused cloud it's just it's awful but anyways um, but all of that is, is forgiven to me for me. If, if that ending were just like, if that one note were different, yeah. um, because as much of a train wreck as that movie is, and I mean, like, I, I know that you've seen gifts and you've probably seen little clips and people have put together videos and stuff like that. So I'm sure that you've seen segments of this. But like those those final moments for Ben Solo, like like from the moment that he comes back and and utters his final line, "Ow," um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's funny because despite despite the the story that got us to that point and what happens after it, there's like a magic in those scenes with him and Daisy Ridley uh, uh, between uh, uh, Adam and Daisy. That is like yeah. It's just like I it's 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 unquantifiable. Um and it it kills me because there's the other George quote of like, you know, if the if if 
if the the you know the if it's like a happy ending like the couple gets together and uh, uh it's a happy ending at the end you know, the box office is like a hundred thousand dollars more something like that right like i'm, yeah, I'm horribly yeah. butchering his quote but but he said essentially like you know like if you give the audience the happy ending they come back they come back yeah, to see it absolutely and, i have i have never seen I don't think I've ever seen a Star Wars film more than once, except if I'm remembering correctly, I think Phantom Menace might've been the only one I ever actually saw twice. Um, and so leading up to Rise of Skywalker, I was like, okay, this is going to be my chance to see it multiple times. And yeah. it was the one film I never actually went to go see. So. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> In the theater, you mean, obviously you've seen Star Wars movies more than once, but <laughs> Well, yes, in theater. Phantom yeah, Menace in yeah. theater was the only one I saw twice. The rest yeah. just, well. Yeah, it's, that's a funny thing because, like, like I only saw Attack of the Clones once in the theater. I think I saw Phantom Menace three times. I think I saw mm. Revenge maybe twice. There are other movies that I've seen, like, I mean, like, uh, Force Awakens I saw seven times. Episode oh, seven I, I saw seven if, times. If I hadn't been stung, uh, stuck at home with a brand new newborn, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah. I would have bought yeah. ticket after I ticket. Just, I just kept every like excuse it. to go back and see that movie, but that was also like 2015. That was that was the year before Carl was born. So, uh, gotcha. uh, yeah, man, what a risk we took. What a risk <laughs> we took with that middle name because, and it wasn't my idea, it was my wife's idea. I, I, because I, I was like, I, uh, Kara was, was, was the one for me. I was like, that's, I like that name (laughs) from Supergirl. I, and I, I, it was like, we'd been throwing around a bunch of names. Um, and, and she was the one who was like Kara Ray. And I was Mm. like, really Ray? Like, really? (laughs) Like you, and it was like, she was like, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. And at the, at the time, at the time, the going theory was that she was a Kenobi. And I was like, yes. And <laughs> as as far as I'm concerned, there's still room. Uh, there's still room for that. I, I mean, the Obi-Wan show, I guess this is this is possibly the first time I've had the opportunity to talk about it on a Star Wars podcast. I when Obi-Wan is like, I think I had a brother. I know. Oh, I man, was like, because that was at, that was it. Yeah. That was at about the same time that we got that excerpt from, uh, from, from uh, star Wars. Uh, this book is mostly about Ochi. I uh-huh. I don't remember what it's called. Sh- oh, Shadow, Shadow of the Sith. Shadow of the Sith. I yeah. I'm teetering on whether or not to read oh it. Oh my god! I can't. I could not get into it. I could not get okay. into it. Okay. Okay. was it was the I was the audiobook for me. So if you like to read books, it probably have a better time. The audiobook, the mm. voice that I think it's Mark Thompson is doing for uh I for Ochi is just awful. It's just like <laughs> so grating. But that you whole know, that chapter that introduces. I, I couldn't I could not get past it as much gotcha. as I want to like see the Luke Lando stuff and I want to like uh, push my my uh, uh, Luke Lando ship agenda on that mm-hmm. um, and try and <laughs> interpret it that way. Um, I I yeah, it I, I, I just I just couldn't get into it. But there, but that the prologue like or the first chat, I can't remember if it's I think it's the prologue is the introduction to raise parents. And there's like a, there's like a line in there about it's, it's Ray's father, Dathan. Oh my God, just a terrible name. Um, Dathan talking about uh, Miramir. 
just why would you name them the most obnoxious names ever? Because Anyways, somebody that's... said Dathomir and they said, sorry, that's in use. What if we break it up? I'm yeah. convinced. You think that's what it is? I'm I so there's a there's a line in it about about where Miramir gets her piloting skill from because you can't just be good at something. It yes. has to it has to genetically be passed to you, even though that's not how skills work. Yeah, uh, I recall this yeah. bit of <laughs> I, about about that her grandmother was an exceptional pilot. And I'm like, let's look at these like let's look at these timelines, right? Yeah. And I think I I think that potentially one of two things, like they could, they could course correct the whole thing. They could retcon and course correct the whole thing. I, I, which like wouldn't be the first time in star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. And say that like her father was, or her, her, her grandfather. So Ray's great grandfather was Obi-Wan's brother. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they could combine that with the idea that if, if, her great grandmother wasn't at least force sensitive that she was an, uh, she was a Jedi that survived the purge. Yeah. And like, cause like there's an implication there. There's a very strong implication. I would not be shocked if they, you know, cause obviously they plan things, you know, so mm-hmm. far in advance or whatever, but that doesn't mean they can't make small little course corrections and yeah. what they included in the visual dictionary and the, with like this little tidbit and and things like in the novel, they they are throwing, you know, loose threads to where mm-hmm. if they wanted to pull on them for whatever reason, they're there. Just saying, Lucasfilm, yeah. you've you've got that thread it, there. You can pull and it. And it doesn't and it it doesn't have to uh it doesn't have to undo anything, right? Like it doesn't have to, to, I'm like, I think there's also room for them to say that Palpatine was lying, right. Yeah. Or that Palpatine was misinformed and that Dathan is in fact, not his son yeah. uh, or clone. Right. Cause, yeah. cause that's what we're, that's what we're kind of led to believe. Um, I, I don't know. Cause I haven't done read the rest of the novel. So maybe the rest of the novel like cements it, but who cares? The, Novels don't matter. The idea, uh, the idea that brings me comfort at night yeah. is that she's a liar and we all know it. Her, yeah. her dad is just anybody. If her mom could be just anybody, but if we have to go the route somewhere, yeah. Kenobi's, parents for whatever reason yeah decided not to give up this particular child or or you know maybe he was force sensitive he just didn't really show it kind of yeah. like how leia is force sensitive but she didn't really show it early on it's just like you know latent. outwardly yeah. um yeah. and force works in mysterious ways yeah. it skips the generation whatever you know and then uh, if yeah. somebody says legacy character we don't need a legacy character then they can throw the shoe that says well technically his brother isn't a legacy character and he never uh, knew his brother and yeah so, yeah this so, is a this is a new part of the story right yes yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, I for me if it's gonna be about bloodlines right like if that's what it's ultimately gonna be um then the 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 full circle um uh, like like obi-wan's uh failure with anakin even though like the obi-wan kenobi show kind of addresses that already but like Mm -hmm. 
but really like like we still as much as as much as anakin takes credit for his own fall to the dark side there is still a component of 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 obi-wan's uh uh hand in that right but that like like obi-wan not being able to bring anakin back and failing in that sense and and turning his back um and you know what vader says of like obi-wan once thought as you did and and uh and luke ultimately having to to finish that job right that to me like like oh a kenobi not being able to save a skywalker but then a kenobi eventually being the one that that not only saves a Skywalker, but that, that, cause I mean, like I want, I want what Marie Claire wants, right. Which is the, the sheep demption, right? Mm. Like, so bring them, bring them back one more time. I don't care. You can't, yeah. you can't, you can't. I mean, like, this is the thing, the last Jedi, it's all in there. And, and it comes from an unlikely source in Rose. It's like, that's, uh, we, that's not how we win. Right. Like we can't right. win by, destroying what we hate and that's what happens like they obliterate palpatine at the end and it's like but the dark side is still there right, right. and it's you and i you... think of i think of bane in the clone wars and he's like i'll always come back right, right. like i'll ne- you can never destroy me because you can't destroy the darkness right you can like and i'll cling on to this and uh and and um Oh, what is it the Inquisitor says in Obi Wan? He's like, uh, uh, "Revenge can be a strong motivator," or whatever he says. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, and that's like, that's what it is, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I would love to see, I would love to see a sexy sheev, like a young sexy sheev, <laughs> um, in something like, like come back, like as a clone, like, like the Dark Empire sort of. Well, way. supposedly we almost had that. So I know, oh, man, what a what a mistake! What a mistake! <laughs> I. But you know, talking about Obi Wan in in the Rose quote, yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, Reva, Reva choosing mm-hmm. not to kill Luke, yeah. You know, out of her love of her friends at the Jedi Temple, she was mm-hmm. saving what she loved. Yeah. In that moment, you know. So man, and, and there you go. Obi-Wan living, Kenobi was so good. It was so yeah, good. There's so living much living redemption there. through her. You know, yeah. we're at, we're asking for it. We're asking to see it. This was yeah. a good start. <laughs> yeah. I man, like, yeah. I, I, I did you see I said <laughs> we're gonna wrap up in two seconds. We're gonna wrap up in two seconds. Did you see the tweet of I I I oh man, his name just fell out of my head. I Cal Kestis. Who's the actor that plays Cal Kestis? I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember his name. Yeah, Cameron Monaghan. Yeah, there you uh, go. And somebody <laughs> asked him if he's if if he would like to play Cal Kestis in in uh, in live action, and if there's anything in the works. And he was just like, "Yeah, uh, of course I'm open to it. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I can say." And it was just like, if they're not working on something with Riva and Cal and Marin. Mm-hmm. Of Yay. like you get an Inquisitor, a Night Sister, and a and a Jedi, and like you put those three together, and then like somehow whatever they did uh, in their timeline is gonna affect the Ahsoka story or like like because Ahsoka, Ezra, they're out there, and yeah. then and then just bring it all together thirty years later 
after that, like go like make that jump twenty to well, actually, it's like it is. It's thirty to th- and then right then we get into the sequel era and yeah. bring it all together with Ray. I want Ray to discover that these people. The reason why Ahsoka is not in the sequel trilogy isn't because she's dead. It's because Ahsoka, Ezra, Cal Kestis, uh, I, you know, like Marin, ever they all. Reva, they all ended up like in the unknown region somewhere and there's a there is already another jedi temple um that learned from the mistakes of the previous one and it's just like it's every jedi that ever like fell off the path which which like then still makes luke being the last jedi ray being the last jedi like that still canonically is accurate they are the last of the jedi Mm-hmm. because they're the last of like that old order right like yeah. like as as that continues but then to to the to then find them and to find out that like there's this other order and they're not jedi they're the something else path. right yeah and to discover that like that that they're that they've been like almost like flourishing and that she doesn't have to start from scratch right that she can That'd bring awesome. everything that she's got and her whole journey to them together with them and uh and for us to to have new stories to tell um in star wars that involve the the new jedi and, and all that and finn of course obviously we got to include in that and yeah and, uh, i mean like that that would be a really great way even like the lego star wars summer vacation thing with him being like he, that's his job he's gonna go out there and try and find more force sensitives for him to go out and discover like oh oh you're all out here and get those two those 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 the, that 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 kid from Star Wars Resistance, uh-huh. the little girl that that was very clearly force sensitive, oh, they were yeah. developing a story oh, with the yeah, around. yeah, and uh, and and Broom Boy, right? Like just yeah. like, it's <laughs> just bring it all together. There's still hope. I think like that's the thing, and that's a really great note to end on. Is that like, yeah, I I there's, mean there's they they hope. have they have the possibilities. They have the the open endings to where. Yeah. They could do a lot with it. They just, they just have to have the want. Yeah. On most, most importantly, we just got to tell a good story, right? Yeah. It's got, and it has to have a reason. It has to have a reason. One of hope, so, of yeah. actual hope, yeah. and yeah. preferably with a happy ending. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what yeah. we need in this day's age: is something to go yeah. right and be happy about it amazingly the last jedi ends like everybody dies and it's and then the you know kylo ren doubles down on the dark side and all of that stuff yeah um and rose is unconscious and we don't know if she's gonna live at that point and <laughs> but it Luke still dies. feels hopeful but for so- it, somehow that final that final shot in the last jedi is one of the most hopeful i mean like like just the one on the millennium falcon and then mm-hmm. the the sort of the little epilogue with with broom boy it's like oh, okay <laughs> everything's yeah. all right yeah and we have everything we need it's all that whole thing cool well we did it i think we did it i think that that's a podcast sweet i i thank you so much yeah for uh sharing all of that uh it was really cool um Mm -hmm. putting in all that work all that effort you can tell that that you're a writer because that's that's how you (laughs) approached it um was by writing was by writing us a story um and that's fantastic. I love it. I <laughs> if let's let's say people wanted to like check out some of your some of your fan fiction work, where would they go to do that? Sure. Um it would be archive of our own. 
uh, and my user author name uh, is Danny, D-A-N-I-E, Marie, M-A-R-I-E, and I have, I think it's like five Star Wars stories ranging from just general audiences, um, you know, up to mature adults, and then I have, um, uh, I also am into Elder Scrolls, um, so I have two Elder Scrolls stories as well, so, but yep. Any cool. rate, any age range, and it's both canon verse and alternate universe, modern day. I got it. Nice, <laughs> uh, awesome. I and uh, and 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 throw your Twitter handle out there as well, so people. Yes, can follow you on uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter as well, or just see the nonsense I type every day, um, you can find me at eighty seven Zoo Lemons. I'm a YouTube fan, and that's why it's weird. <laughs> awesome cool well thank you so much for being on the first episode uh thank you yeah, to everybody you for having me uh for listening for tuning in yes. um and uh, uh we'll be back in four weeks time i don't I, I haven't lined up my next guest i i mean like i have a few people that i'm talking to i haven't scheduled anything for the next one so i don't know who the next guest is but i i but hopefully hopefully this was fun and everybody enjoyed it and uh uh, and and you'll tune in for the next episode. And uh, and as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, get the episode early. You can do that at Patreon.com/slash/thunderquack. Um, and uh, I haven't done all the social media stuff, so I actually don't even know what all of the social media handles are. Uh, but you know what I'll do is between now and the time that I edit this podcast to post it, I will have done that, and it'll there you be. Go. In the, It'll it'll be in the the rigmarole at the end because there will be a whole thing. I we're we're recording this well in advance of release, which I like for a change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gives me some time. I but, tried. Uh, yeah, I I but again, thank you, Danielle, for for hanging out and talking about Star Wars. Yeah, um, anytime. And uh, and and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you guys on the next episode. <laughs> thank you for listening to Thunderquack Force Perspectives. Our opening theme is composed for us by Christy Carew. Follow Force Perspectives on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ForcePOV. And join us on Discord at thunderquack.com discord. Support the show by visiting us at patreon.com thunderquack to get early access to episodes, leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast service, or buy merch at store.thunderquack.com. Force Perspectives is a part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network.